0: This is Surya Sahad, the author of The Digital Choices, and you're listening to the InsurTech Story podcast, the platform to spread knowledge on insurance innovation, digital disruptions and entrepreneurship. Our website, insurtechstory.com, and we are available on Spotify, Apple and Google. Welcome to today's show, where we will discuss on the topic, fostering insurance innovation in the APAC market. And for now, I'm delighted to welcome our guest, Rohit Chandra Shekharan who is the group chief executive officer of Tune Protect Malaysia. In his Hi, role Surya. as the group chief executive officer, Rohit is responsible for steering Tune Protect on its journey of digital transformation aimed at positioning the group as the lifestyle insurer that everyone loves within Asian and the Middle East. Rohit is also a director of TuneProtect Malaysia. Prior to this, Rohit was the Chief Executive Officer of AXA Affinity Life Insurance. Rohit began his career as an analyst with AXA in India. He has experience working across various departments and has held senior positions in both local and regional capacities within Malaysia, Singapore, Hong Kong and India. With his track record of success spanning over 18 years in the insurance industry, Rohit is passionate about fintech, innovation, and making insurance simple for all, which is the need of the hour. So Rohit, welcome on board, and I'm truly excited to have you for the show.
1: Hi Surya, I'm excited to be here as well, Uh, look forward to a good conversation.
0: Absolutely, Rohit. Um, we are definitely delighted and honored that um, you have given your time uh, to discuss some of the pressing issues in the insurance market, particularly for APAC region. So, um, Rohit, I would like to start by saying, you know, there is a wide range of innovations uh, being explored um, in the insurance industry. In 2018, 30% of insurance companies were already using or considering using technologies like the RPA to review claims, for example. However, you know, no insurers were already using RPA for processes like underwriting. And underwriting automations means that the process of evaluating the risk of insuring a client will be performed by a computer rather than a person. So there's still plenty of room for go- growth because very few insurers have mastered how to integrate this innovation into their business models. Now, moving on to a little bit of segments brief, I would say the auto insurance industry, if you look at, has already begun integrating technology into its policies. For example, with the introduction of usage-based insurance, in the United States, if you see, the most valued uh, UBI feature in 2017 was the automated emergency call. So, unsurprisingly, millennials were shown to be the generation most likely to be willing to share risk, uh, recent driving data in return for personalized insurance quotes, which is something, you know, very much uh, needed, particularly for the generation who are fast moving and who needs things at the fingertips. And the last part I would like to mention, which is of, of very much of interest um, for you as well, which is the health insurance industry, which is you know uh, another area. Which has began to utilize InsurTech in 2017, and I'm quoting a Statista survey that 72% of respondents said that they either already shared data with their health insurer or would consider it ex- in exchange for benefits. And this is a survey on the global, uh, uh, you know, scale. So with there, with there are opportunities in the areas of growth through partnership and affinity models and mergers and acquisitions as we, as we see it. So considering all these important elements, Rohit, you being a leader in the insurance as well as the insurtech space, both in the Asia Pacific and global region, from your experience, how do you see insurance innovation taking off through digital and affinity partnerships, for example? Uh, perhaps you, know, you can give some views for the APAC region
1: to start with. Thanks, Surya. And it's good to know that, you know, I I think the biggest change in insurance itself is the fact that today we are talking about innovation and insurance. Uh, Five years back, most of us were still talking about legacy systems and how complex insurance is and so on and so forth. I I think before we understand, uh, you know, innovation in insurance, it's very important to to really um, structure this conversation in three parts. Um, innovation in insurance has been, insurance has been a laggard when it comes to insur- innovation. Uh, clearly banks have been far ahead of us and some would say, how is that even possible? But it is where we are. Um, and, and because of that, today you are seeing a lot of companies over invest on technology Innovation, people, culture, etc., in the insurance space, because we realize that if we don't catch up, we will not survive. The second part of it in innovation is building the right culture, and that's very difficult to understand in insurance for someone who's not from an insurance background. Insurers, as insurers, we are built to be risk adverse. We are told from a young stage of our careers on how to manage claims, how to manage underwriting, how to manage bottom lines. The whole conversation of, hey, where's the customer in all this was broken a long time back. And for that reason, because the risk adversity that we have, despite being risk managers, has kind of come in the way of innovation, and I think the, f- the first and foremost people who understood that, if you ask me, is the regulators themselves. And that's why you're seeing digital banking, digital insurance, sandbox, and various other uh, reg- new regulatory facilitating frameworks coming from the regulators. Because they understand they need to create that environment for insurers to innovate in. Because the traditional regulatory landscape does limit insurers in many ways than not the third part is we then need need to ingest the right amount of insurance non insurance technology people into this business what happened was a few years back many insurers decided two things appoint the youngest or, or not the youngest appoint the smartest relatively youngest guy as head of transformation or head of innovation and say you are the one who's going to do innovation for us. Or even better, some people had a bit more money, so they decided to open innovation centers. Both did not work. There is almost very limited success examples of business success. Because these were devoid of business connection, business realities. For me, transformation and innovation has to be driven by business leaders themselves. How can me as a innovation guy go and tell my sales head this is how you do innovation in sales he knows that feel better than me so the key is to create that fostering environment for innovation to try for that there are three parts the first one is culture be ready to fail be ready to wake up and move on the second one is having the right measurements for too long insurance has always looked for lag KPIs uh, top line, bottom line, blah, blah, blah. But we all know top line and bottom line moves with many other factors. And uh, that's why the lead KPI becomes very, very important. Lead KPI is how many customers did I acquire? Did the customer stay with me longer? Has the customer's claim been processed faster? How easy was it to onboard the customer, etc. The third part of this conversation is technology. I think technology today has evolved a lot. We, as I've repeatedly said in other conversations, technology is over glorified. It's the one and two that is important. Tech works. We all know tech is there. It's the culture, the the people and the measurements which need to be in place for technology to work. Otherwise, you're just innovating or launching tech for the sake of it. And uh, to your point, you, you mentioned RPA, for example. I've extensively used robotics process automation. And I can tell you, I've used robotics process automation in underwriting as well in my past company. Uh, 22% of our new business applications were auto-underwritten by the RPA. Uh, but we can do much more. And I don't. I think RPA has many uh, business cases. We can talk about that later. But I think it's just not RPA, right? RPA is generally a plug because a core system can't do something, but I think today you have new age systems, low code platform, low code platforms, which you know can do a lot more. Um, and and again, we can have that conversation, but I can tell you that insurers are embracing technology very aggressively today.
0: Right, Um, Chino Rohit, if I understood that right, um, to foster innovation, um, they also it is also important to understand that the approach should also take the top-down turn as well. Um, yeah. Ha- ha- was was that right, if I have interpreted it?
1: That Absolutely, tune right. from the top or tone from the top. I work for no, I, tu- I work for Tune Tech, so we call it tune from the top. But I think tone from the top is paramount. Mm-hmm. It's very important that the board understands what we are trying to do. It's very important that the management is consistent in their messaging. You don't do digital because you want to do digital. It just won't work that way. If you want to get on a digital transformation journey, or what I call a customer transformation, customer experience transformation journey, then um, you have to, you know, live and die by it at the top. And um, you will have failures. You will have uh, times across that journey when something doesn't work. Um, There was something, uh, you know, that you launch and you realize two, three, four months down the lane, this is not what the market wants. But that is much better than the past where we launched black boxes after two years and then realized this is not what the market wants, where 20 people spend two years of their time and several millions to launch a system. But today we are doing it in a much more agile method, uh, three months, four months. But the culture is very important and that tone comes from the top.
0: Right. No, absolutely. You know, um, uh, the reason I um, asked this is also because um, last year when I published my book on digital transformation, I categorically focused on one chapter that's named as the digital leadership. Um, So Mm -hmm. the, the thing which you have mentioned that, the importance of a top-down approach, and for that, how exactly we can leverage to make that happen. So in that, my one of the views was leaders must also be followers in order to do so. So uh, what do you think, what would be your view on that? This is a little off the topic, but on the uh, leadership part.
1: Well, um, first things first, uh, as a leader, you have to believe in something to be able to follow through on it. True. Very so, true. if you do not, if you do not believe that this is the way to do business, if there is no burning platform question on why we need to innovate, why we need to disrupt our model, then we definitely won't change. So, let's assume that's a given that the leader has a burning platform question or a or a clear latent need to change. The second part is then the leader needs to put in place the right culture. The right culture entails, as I said, failing fast, but also being able to do things in an agile mode, um, measuring the right lead KPIs, bringing the right people in. Um, It's very important to have people who understand how uh, this journey works and um, mix them with people who understand the business very well. Um, and, and I think it's, this is the most important, you know, point because as a leader, we are ultimately, what are we responsible for? We are responsible for setting the vision or the strategy, getting the right people in place and measuring things, how it gets executed, um, is ultimately why we hire people. And the last part is you will not know everything. And that's where you need to hire, just like, you know, Steve Jobs said, You need to hire people smarter than you. Uh, Personally speaking, my head of e commerce knows much more about SEO, SEM, digital marketing, blah, 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 than me. My head of digital partnerships knows much more about how these partners work and how to tie them together than me. Uh, And that's the whole idea that in this world, you are getting into a phase where you actually don't know many things. And that's the role that you know, As a leader, you play to bring these people together uh, to be able to create that environment.
0: No, absolutely true. And this is so, so important in today's, particularly in today's industry 4.0, as we say it. Um, leaders must take the first step in order to bring that needed change. I mean, That that empowerment, that initiative, that understanding, that knowledge, education, however we say it, it it is definitely coming from the top. And that's one of the key for success in this digital era. And this is a fantastic point uh, you touched upon, Rohit. Um, To move ahead, um, you know, innovation through new technologies, as we were discussing, is a key driver of change, and especially in this insurance sector. And this has led led to immeasurable efficiency gains, even though these changes can initially be accompanied by uncertainty. But keeping this in mind, you know, could you let our industry people know on how technology capabilities can foster insurance innovation in the coming days?
1: I I think I will I will tweak that question to say the first question we need to ask ourselves as a business as a as a unit as a department is what do we want to change and why do we want to change unless we have the burning platform question or the real customer need or distributor need or employee need or shareholder need established I think technology will will be lost because let's remember technology is an enabler. Once we understand the latent need and the business case of what we are trying to drive, um, as an example, before you do a CRM, or you do a MDM, or you do a chatbot, you first have to drop a customer journey because there is no point in having a customer portal without knowing when does my customer call my contact center What do they call my contact center for? What are the biggest requirements? Why do they walk into my branch? What is it that they email me for? What are their pain points? How do they solve it today? Are they happy or not not happy? What What is their expectation around response times? If we don't know, I'm just throwing a few indicator questions. If we don't know the answer to these questions, i can develop the most fancy customer portal i can put ai ml i can put you know chatbot i can put rpa i can put you know even robotics advisory and it's going to get zero adoption or very minimal adoption so the important part in this journey is to understand what is the customer need what is the customer journey what is the pain point we're trying to solve where is the 80 20 let's start with that and then work from there for me i'm a firm believer in 65 ready the, uh, earlier we used to in insurance as i said before about the you know risk adverse mindset we used to wait for 110 ready and that's where most of our projects took two and three years in the past uh, i'm talking about five years back five ten years back now most projects are done in months and the reason is because you know people are evolving and people are saying you know when you're 65% ready launch it because the remaining 35% we'll first figure out whether the customer was really looking for this 65 or was it some other 65 in which case the whole 100% is gone to the dogs so i think that's the first question first piece of work that needs to be done that's why attune protect before any tech project or any product launch or any major service proposition we do focus group discussions, consumer surveys, um, really understand the customer. For example, we give them the product, we give them the price, we give them a wire f- frame to play around, get feedback from them, and only then launch something or get tech to really start developing. Them. The second part of it is, then a question of tech is, do we want a Rolls-Royce solution or do we want a you know, uh, uh, Maruti Swift solution. Both are great cars, absolutely phenomenal cars, but they have different consumer groups, different segments, buying them. Same way, our technology choices also has to be in line with what is the business we are in, what is our size, what's our budget, what's our customer need. For example, if I am a very small business, and I feel that you know um, I don't know what I am launching in the market will really work or not, I'm not gonna go for the most fancy solution. I'm gonna go in for a solution which is on a test and learn basis before I build the business case to dial it up. I remember in my past life, sometimes we used to launch systems, now APIs are much more easier to architect. There was a time when APIs were a bit of a pain, especially when it comes to backends of uh traditional insurers because of their legacy platforms what we did was we used to use rpa we used rpa every hour to punch data into the back end and then we said internally that when the business reaches x level we will invest in api because at that time api was much more expensive but today you have a lot of api platforms middleware etc which seamlessly connect but i'm saying i'm just giving an example of how things have evolved the last part of it is on the tech side, I think the evolution has been pretty dramatic um, for and and this is where I think especially the use of data has been very critical uh, you know be it for example when you launch telematics uh, you use the custom the, the driver data in terms of speed, how braking uh, you know uh, distance to price it and you're giving the customer a tangible benefit not only of premium discounts, but also in terms of theft alert and you know different you know, behavior changes. The same is happening in health as well with the wearables, with the IOTs, the data that we collect on the health of the customer. We can work on the customer to improve their health, which in turn will help our claims. But at the end of it, it also helps the customer premium as well. So as insurers, we are now going beyond insurance. We are not, not just talking about Buy an insurance and I will, I will give you your claim. Um, it's a lot more than that. We are talking about how can we make the customer's life better? How can we proactively engage the customer? What can we learn about the customer due, through these engagement methods to be able to give them something that is valuable? You got to understand where we live in. The insurance mobile apps at one time was the first mobile app people would delete when their mobile phones are running out of space. Why? Because I use the mobile app two times a year. One is to you know buy, buy. Second is, well, if I have a claim, I claim in a life insurance, you don't even do that. And to renew. But once you have products like health, like telematics, like uh, you know more options for the customer to switch funds, to add on, to delete, modify, then it's different. You're building a different level of engagement. The app gets used, so on and so forth. So again, technology per se will not take us anywhere. Technology enables us to fulfill that journey we want to achieve.
0: Right. You know, um, this is just uh, for our listeners. It's so, so important what Rohit has just touched upon, particularly for the technology leaders that we must understand what do we want to change and why do we want to change. Now that is the fundamental that we should ask in order to bring in transformation, be it for technology or business as a whole. Now, for example, if emerging technologies like blockchain or anything else are you know, showing us promising future, that might not refer to every business lines that might need that. So the fundamental question like what Rohit just said, what do we want to change, and why do we want to change? This is something we must address all the time to begin with. Thank you, Rohit. This is this is one of the great um, you know lines that book, uh, that has come across. Um, you know, Rohit, um, j- just uh, targeting the digital consumers by simplifying insurance experience. I know a couple of them we have touched upon in our discussion now. Um, so you know these. Are one of the major drivers towards a successful digital journey and of course in the digital age so consumers have more power towards uh, you know than ever before with this how do you see a simplification happening in the insurance space is it through higher engagement personalization or just a better understanding of needs what do you think and perhaps you can give us some demonstration from Tune Protect and one of the segments of your focus like the health?
1: I'll give you a real world example. Um, what did, uh, you know, AirAsia directly and indirectly through their through their promoters Tune, Tune group owns about 30% of Tune Protect. Now, what did AirAsia do when uh, they disrupted flying 20 years back? They were among the first ones to sell a ticket online. Uh, in that decade they were the ones who went to the market and said why do you want to travel with luxury i'm going to make everyone fly and that was tony fernandez you know tagline right everyone can fly why am i giving this example so they disrupted an existing model which at that time was making money people were happy or at least that's what we perceived but He then expanded that ocean to say, you know what? There's a whole list of customers who are not flying and I'm going to make everyone fly as an example. So what did he do? He said, you want an airline ticket. I will sell it to you at one of the cheapest prices. Now, if you want to decide which seat you sit in, you want to carry baggage, extra baggage, you want food, you pay for it. Okay. So you pay. As you want more service, we have literally copied that concept over to Tune Protect. So when we launched our recently our home insurance product, and I would urge you know any listeners you know even if you're not in Malaysia to just go and test check it out. Uh, the product's called Home Easy. Um, if you go online, you will find three very simple concepts. Concept number one: as an insurer, we are making a bold statement. In Malaysia, if you find a cheaper home insurance product in the market, I will make good the difference for you. So I'm going in saying I'm the cheapest home insurance in the market. One. Two, I'm saying, however, I know you may want to buy other stuff. Like you may want additional cover on A, you want to add on liability, you want to add on something else, no problem we have a completely add-on stackable product, which means you can tick, 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 and you add, okay? The third part of it all is the product is being created in a very simple, easily understandable language. I still think it can get better, but nonetheless, it is, you know, those are the three simple principles we follow. Why did we follow this principle? we wanted to target a completely new group of customers today well not today in the last 20 25 years in asia in india of course the market opened up 20 21 years back it's changing a little bit but i'm saying in general in the last 20 to 25 years in asia when insurance boomed insurance registered double digit growths almost every year Um, except maybe the, you know, financial crisis and maybe the, you know, one-off years. Insurance was very strong growth. Where did the growth come from? The growth came from high margin products sold primarily to high net worth and middle high net worth individuals through agents and banks. The growth was there. The margin was there. Insurance needn't really have broken that model at all Get that model right, and that was the focus. That model was predicated on high margin per policy. So it's almost like a Louis Vuitton model as an example. What we are saying is, however, that limits you to a significant portion of the market who cannot afford those products. And that's what some of them are doing now, and we are definitely doing, is we want to be able to talk to the millennials, the zillennials, the mass market who are looking at affordability over what is the right cover I should have because the right cover I should have may not be something I can afford today. So would you rather have some cover than have nothing in the pursuit of having the best cover, which is not even possible. So that is the positioning we are taking. Because we know when a customer looks for high-end cover, they're not going to come to Tune Protect because we are a new kid in the block. They will come to us when they want bite-sized insurance, easy to buy, simple, can be digitally administered. We work with any partners in the market. We are happy to go where the customer wants to go, then asking them always to come to us. So if a customer is happy with a telco, we are happy to go to the telco and give it to you. The customer is happy with, you know, e-wallet, we're happy to do that. So that's the model. And when you talk to millennials, what our research shows is there are three things that matter to them. Price, uh, because they're frustrated, they find insurance expensive. Second is they find insurance complex. So simplicity, so all our products can be bought in some even one minute, but by and large, I would say five minutes. And the third one is they don't trust insurers. Insurers, along with healthcare, unfortunately in many jurisdictions in the world are among the least trusted industries. Unfortunate for what I call is a noble business because we are supposed to be here when the customer needs us. But, and the third one is the trust element. And that's where we put in different ways for the customer to talk to us, be it a chatbot, be it a telephone, be it an email, be it talking to our advisors, be it buying it online, and creating simpler communication methods for the customer so that they really understand what we're talking about. So that that's that's kind of how we want to disrupt this space.
0: No, yes, you know you have uh, mentioned about the um, home insurance that TuneProtect is um, you know offering to the Malaysian. Uh, customers so when i was uh, researching your organization and also a bit on the products and services offered as you mentioned rightly the bite-sized part um, i think your team you and your team has done a very fabulous job on actually you know uh, giving a micro view of the home insurance purchase of what the young age consumers can do or how they can access it for how you have even utilized your top-up options divided your policies into you know various uh, micro segments like starting you know from your landlord insurance uh, product to mortgage loans to even smart home devices and personal liability i think these are very innovative definitely unique for consumers like us who would like to you know understand things very easily and on the go and just on fingertip where you can just easily buy it and of course claim it when the need is Mm. so i think this sort of innovation is what the world is looking for and millennials are the new you know age consumers who would actually give the boost to this particular industry which is year old and absolutely conservative in nature from since its inception. So some great, great points touched upon there, Rohit. You know, just as a personal curiosity, I just like to ask you one more question. You know, you have a great deal of experience in the health insurance segment. And taking that benefit, you know, if you can just explain us how... innovation can actually shape the insurance, uh, health insurance space, space, especially when, you know, at a global scale, we are uh, uh, moving or experiencing
1: and living with this pandemic? So I think we always look for something positive even in a crisis. Uh, I hate saying there's something positive in a crisis, but I think if this crisis has exposed one thing, Uh, without being political or anything is that none of the governments maybe one or two exemptions in the world have done enough on healthcare, and it's really exposed that the second is as consumers the awareness is going to go through the roof because for the first time people are going to realize because you know the last hundred years no one faced this going to realize oops am i covered what have i done
0: Right. The third is, yes.
1: as insurers, we're going to be much more aware because you know COVID's done something, uh, which is a shaken some companies' balance sheets. But b, as insurers, have we a prepared for such an event? B, when the event happened, have we been dynamic enough to responding to the situation? Now, health insurance for me, uh, there are three parts to health insurance. One, who buys health insurance? Historically, as I mentioned, health insurance was always bought by high net worth and medium high net worth individuals. There was a little bit of micro insurance here and there. Of course, some countries have a pretty strong public health infrastructure. But that comes with waiting times, non-emergency surgeries. You might have to wait for several months, etc. cetera. Um, so what happened was the people who relatively can afford it got good health coverage. The people who, for whom affordability was critical, they were not covered. So they had to go through these waiting times. And where the public health infrastructure is not a good, that's where you hear the story. And there's been some data, I'm sure you can find that out, where uh, in some countries, health-related expenses, one of the highest causes of bankruptcy among the mass market. So we need to understand the social fabric of how this was done. So for me, what's going to happen, without repeating myself, is now health insurance is going to become more bite-sized. That is for the mass customer. And what we do is we offer health in three different buckets. You can buy our online health insurance product or through a distributor, whatever it is. You can buy um, uh, typical medical reimbursement type products. where, um, and then you can add on. You also have the second bucket where you have products which are critical illness. Next week in Thailand, we are launching a very interesting critical illness product. What happens in critical illness, Surya, typically is insurers sell you 38 critical illness, 64 critical illness. Somebody told me in one of the countries in Asia, there's even 90 critical illness. I can tell you when I read that, I went to Google and searched. I did not know 95% of those critical illness. I've never even heard those names. So why was this done? Because it is the most comprehensive offer, high premium, sold through intermediate channels and meant for a specific type of customer group. But the guy on the road cannot afford that. So what we are launching is a critical illness where you can decide which critical illness you want to buy. So if you decide to buy only cancer, up to you. If you decide to buy cancer plus stroke, up to you. If you decide to buy heart attack plus diabetes, up to you. So we will let you buy what you want to buy. So it's completely flexible. So the second element is looking at products like critical illness, personal accident. We have personal accident for sports, uh, dental plans, so those kind of plans. The third one is what we call extremely bite-sized so there's a dengue outbreak you just want to cover dengue so you can literally send a text message because you know companies have this data to a particular locality where there's been a dengue outbreak to say did you are you covered for dengue in shots as an example so one is product simplification product documentation product the whole product element the second one is underwriting it is very very important to a simplify underwriting but B, use data to continuously tweak underwriting. I'll give you one example from my past life. What we found was in one of past jobs I did, around 14% of our claims was coming from shoulder related admissions and we found this very weird. So we looked at the reports and stuff and you will be surprised to know there is a certain level of what I call employee medical tourism in this part of the world. Uh, where employees are happy to use medic, uh, go and lie down in a hospital and get medical uh, leave. It will surprise some of us but there is a bit of that happening. I'm not generalizing. I'm saying there's a bit of that happening. So what we did was we put an intervention to say that if it is an admission which is lesser than X days with no procedure then you have to pay and we will reimburse you. We are not going to give you cashless. Six months later that became 3 or 4%. So what that meant was people were getting admitted when they really didn't need to get admitted. Why am I saying this? Because it's important to understand insurance is a two-way thing. If you want an unending claim philosophy which says, whenever I claim, I love everything I claim, then your premium is going to be so high. At one point, you don't need to buy insurance. You should be able to self-fund it at that level. So that's why we have to find a balance between insurance is there when the customer absolutely needs it and not when the customer can do with the outpatient care of getting a a spray or getting a tablet instead of getting admitted uh, because it's nice to just get admitted because of the hospitals that we have today. The third part is claims. What happened in the past was all customers were treated the same way. There was no distinction, so that's why consumers felt that these insurers treat us like frauds. What we can do with AI, um, you know, RPA, etc., is you can establish rules. So what the fraud flags will do, as an example, is 70% of your claims could be paid pop, straight away because it's all green, just pay. The remaining 30% we will do investigation, checking, etc. So i'm just giving one or two examples it's not it's not the full detail i'm just giving an example to show how no, that's fine why yeah. am i giving this example is to say that it's very important that for health insurance to survive we get the right products for the customers we get the right underwriting framework from both ways simplify for the customer customer knows when they can claim when they cannot claim for the company there's that control and a right claims framework which is customer-centric clear and downtailing all of this is how we use data to be able to cross sell upsell and improve the the business quality and finally, I think hospitals play a very important role in this because in this whole chain, if we don't control hospitals um it's gonna be very difficult for insurers to you know manage um you know the healthcare inflation cost i know you mentioned about blockchain briefly and i'll give you an example of what's happening in insurance as an example in some countries there are pilots underway not in tune protect but i'm giving an example where um, an insurer a hospital a tpa uh, the one who administers the claim and um the customer are, are on the blockchain And you can seamlessly move the transaction around, which means there will be less claim slippage, less fraud, and it'll also solve a few pain points. TPAs always have an issue that insurers don't pay on time. Insurers have an issue that we don't know what the hospital is charging us. So this will help all of us in a blockchain to standardize services, costing, and remove um, a lot of the leakages.
0: Right, yeah. Um, Shino you know, Rohit. Um, one of the as you have spoken quite in detail about the health insurance part, also on um what Tune Protect is uh, doing in that aspect. One of the most interesting part among others, of course, uh, what I have found from your health insurance product is you are also offering from your app services, you know, uh, to for the consumers to browse and discovers your impaneled hospitals near them. So that is what I feel one of the add-on services, which is very useful and definitely helpful for every consumer who wants to find any sort of a healthcare facility for any specialized uh, problems that they're looking at, which is not widely available with any other insurance offerings. I think that's a very important add-on. Um, so, Rohit, uh, you know, fantastic points you have uh, raised there, some very interesting uh, aspects that you touched upon and demonstrated through some interesting cases. So, uh, with the interest of time, um, I would just like to say thank you so much. It was a fantastic discussion, and thank you for sharing your thoughts there. It was truly a delight and an honor to have you as our guest. Um, Thank you, you, my pleasure. And lastly, to wrap this up, thank you for listening and see you at our next episode. Take care and stay safe. Goodbye for now.